So I invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We are looking at uh, the new beginning, at the beginning of the church. Last week, we spoke about the 40 days after Jesus' crucifixion. And during that time, he had appeared to his apostles, and he proved to them in, in many ways that he was actually alive. It's interesting that there was something different about Jesus because they had to prove it to him. And, and he, he wasn't with them all the time. There were times when he would come and times when he would go. And, and I don't know if in between those times they kind of forgot what church was like or they forgot what it was like to be with Jesus. And, and maybe we've had a little bit of that too. One of the things that we talked about last week was this Latin word that uh, we get our modern word quarantine. And the word quarantine in English, the translation is actually the word 40. And we talked about all the various 40s in the church. Somebody asked me, well, be sure to talk about how a woman is pregnant for 40 weeks. And, and that's, that's essential. And, and that's a good thing. We, we, I, how could I miss that? In today's text, uh, we move on to Acts chapter 2. And now this is 10 days later than last week. Uh, 10 days later. And it says this in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Wouldn't that be nice? We have a few believers meeting here in one place, but um, there was something that happened when they were meeting together. There was an indescribable sound from heaven. Verse 2, suddenly... There was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Now, I have to tell you about a mighty roar that I heard one time. Mike and I were on our way to uh, Dominica, and we were going on a work and witness trip, and some of the crew had left, and we came on Sunday evening. And so as we were on our way, we had to stop in St. Martin or St. Martin or St. Martin. What, you know, it's, it's Dutch and French. This island is divided in half. And so we're there, and we have quite a, lo a long layover. So we decided we need to go get some lunch, so we go out. And, and Mike said, hey, I've heard about a beach down at the end of the runway. So we go down to the end of this runway outside the airport, and, and we stop there, and there's a right on the side of this beautiful little narrow beach, right at the end of the runway, there's a restaurant. So we're sitting there in that restaurant. And, and, you know, we're, we're just kind of lounging, trying to be cool like locals and what all of that, you know? And all of a sudden, we hear this sound. And we look, and here's this jet coming in. No kidding, look at this. That jet was coming right in, right over that beach. There was a, a little, you know, kind of a, a, it was a 747, just huge. This is not the very jet, because I couldn't believe it happened. I did not get a photo, but this is a, a picture of that same spot right from where we were sitting. Isn't that crazy? You see the small strip of beach there? And, and there's that two-lane road, and, and then there's a fence with a barbed wire on it, and then the runway. It's, it's like right there. I mean, it's, it's just incredible that these planes are coming in, and people go out there and stand right below it and go, whoa, you know? It, it was just crazy to me. And there's a sign that even says, Jet blast can cause death, you know? 
But now is the really big part of this. That's when a jet takes off because it taxis down the runway, turns right there. They have videos on YouTube. You can look at it and you can see right there. The pilot is waving to the crowd. I mean, they're just right there. It's so close. It's just crazy. And, and so they're right in this danger. But when it comes for takeoff, there is a roaring rush and blast of air. Look at this. There's a young woman being, some people jump up in the air and it blasts them into the ocean right there for fun. So if you ever go to St. Martin, be sure to check this out. Now, I saw this, okay? I, I witnessed this. I heard the roar. And, you know, I, here I am. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to say this to you so that you can kind of have the feel and understanding of it. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to get the feel and the sense than to know. Well, you know, that's what it was kind of like for those early witnesses who were in that upper room. How do they describe this? How, what words could they use for something that had never happened before? You know, some people have even wondered. They've spent hours wondering if there was an actually a movement of wind or if it was just a breath of wind. But there was a roar, and a, and a mighty roar, a violent roar, a huge roar. So here's the challenge. This is the challenge of a witness. This is our challenges as witnesses for the Lord, because we need to see what God's doing. We need to hear the things that God is doing. But most importantly, we need to tell. We need to share. We need to tell other people about the indescribable things that God is doing. Your testimony, your witness about what God has done in your life is the most powerful way to share Jesus with anybody. So be sure to see and hear and tell what you know, what you're experiencing. Here's what Luke goes on to say. This is verse 3. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Now, we've surmised that this was some kind of a Shekinah glory of the Lord. Uh, it was also very hard to describe. So it was not like tongues of fire. It wasn't real fire, but it, it kind of looked like fire, and I can't say it any other better way. It's just hard. And yet, something very special happened, and Luke conveys that truth. Verse 4 says, And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now, I want you to know the Holy Spirit's been around a long time. The Holy Spirit was there at the creation. And the, the Holy Spirit came alongside people. But now it's very different. Now the Holy Spirit is entering inside the believers. It's a, an incredible different event that's taking place. I want you to know the early church had none of the things that we think are so essential for church success today. They didn't have buildings. They didn't have a lot of money. They didn't have any political influence at all. They didn't have any social status. And yet that church won multitudes to Christ and saw many churches established throughout the whole Roman world which basically was the civilized world of the time. 
How? Why? What, what happened? It was because the church had the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was energizing the church's ministry. So, know this. They were people with power who were ignited by the Spirit of God. And that same power that we sing about and that we talk about is available to us in the church today. Verse 5. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation, and they were living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. This is another miracle of Pentecost. Now, I need to talk to you about this whole word, Pentecost, this idea of Pentecost, and what it means to us today. First of all, you need to know this. Pentecost is the birthday of the church. Happy birthday! Not just you. I mean, we're Plasnaz, right? As of May 17th, we are now 95 years old as a local congregation. But we're not talking about the birthday of our church. We're talking about the birthday of the church. We're talking about the universal church. And uh, by the way, this is our 1,990th birthday, give or take a year or two, because they got lost track somewhere back in there, okay? So 1990, uh, that works because it started in about A.D. 30. So if you do the math, that's how we figure numbers and all that. So happy birthday. Happy birthday, big church. So what about Pentecost? Pentecost, first of all, I want you to see this. It's a celebration. It's an old celebration. It didn't start in that first year of the Christian church. That was the birthday of the church, but Pentecost had been around for a long time. It takes place in the spring. It happens 50 days after Passover, and it's celebrated uh, It's the celebrated at the completion of the wheat harvest, the kind of the winter wheat kind of a thing. And the word uh, Pentecost is a transliteration of a Greek word, Pentecoste. Pentecoste, which actually just simply means 50th, the 50th. So in Hebrew, it's the word Shavuot, and that means it's, it, it's the Feast of Weeks. And this marks the anniversary of the giving of the law by God to the Jewish people through Moses. And it celebrates, uh, here's another fancy word, theophany. Theophany celebrates God's appearance on Mount Sinai, giving the Ten Commandments to Moses and then down to the people. So we know that Jesus spent 40 days on earth and then ascended. Ten days later, on the 50th day, Pentecost, the Spirit of God came precisely as Jesus had predicted it. We need to celebrate. Yay! The next thing we see is that Pentecost is a commemoration. This is outlined in Leviticus 23. If you want to do your devotions this week in Leviticus 23, fascinating stuff. See, the Jews were told to bring two loaves of bread to celebrate and commemorate Pentecost. It was an offering uh, commemorating this festival of the harvest or festival or feast of weeks. 
And, and so what they were told to do is to remember and to sacrifice. And so they were supposed to bring these loaves of bread. Uh, the next thing we see about Pentecost is that Pentecost is an illustration. Now, this is kind of gross, but when the law was given, when Moses came down the mountain, they were celebrating around a golden calf that they had constructed for themselves. And 3,000 people died that day. The day the law was given, 3,000 people died. It's gross how they died. But on the day that the Spirit came, on the day when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church for the very first time, making the church the church, 3,000 people were saved. So the two loaves, they come to illustrate the Jew and the Gentile coming together in one new organization that we know as the church. Now, this is kind of interesting because unlike most other sacrifices when there was bread involved, there were wheat sacrifices, there were sheaves of wheat, all this kind of stuff. But here, there was leaven in the bread. Now, in the Bible, leaven is a symbol for sin. And yet they were supposed to bring bread with leavening in it and that is a picture of sin that still exists in the world today. And by the way, even in the church, as long as you have people around, you're going to have sin. But the church is truly made up of sinners who are saved by grace. This would be a great time to say amen. Really good. And I'm so glad for that. So we have this illustration of what Pentecost is all about in these loaves, in this offering. And one more thing about Pentecost. Pentecost is a comfort. The comforter has come. The greatest miracle of Pentecost was, of course, the people hearing the witnesses in their own language. They, uh, verse 7, they were completely amazed. Now, how amazed is completely amazed? That's pretty amazed. And what, look what they said. How can this be? They exclaimed. How can this be? That all these unlearned guys are speaking our language. And, and I would imagine they spoke it with, with great inflection and, and good dialect, too. These were dispersed Jews. They were from all the nations that had gathered together in the holy city for the Feast of Harvest. That's one of the feasts where, where Jewish men were told, go back to Jerusalem to celebrate this feast, like Passover. And so when they heard about what was happening there in that upper room, they gathered to see for themselves what was going on. What is this all about? They saw something, but they heard something. They heard praise. They heard adoration. They heard worship in their native tongue. And they, of course, were amazed. Hey, what was even more amazing is verse, the next part of this verse says, these people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. They didn't speak like foreigners. They spoke like natives. We're going to skip down. The next part of the verse tells you all the places they were from, and read that if you'd like. But 11, kind of the second half of verse 11 says this. 
and the people are talking again. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. I love this. Here it is. Are you ready? What can this mean? They asked each other. What can this mean? That's a great question. That's the, that's the title of our message today. What can this mean? What can Pentecost mean? What did it mean for those people that day? We know that 3,000 of them got saved. What does it mean for the church today? Especially when many people are still kind of on lockdown and we have a small group here today just barely opening up and, and we're under the guidelines of the state. It's almost like we're the early church underground. What can this mean? What does it mean for the church to be the people of God and to share the, the love of God and the light of God with people today? How do we do that? What, what can this mean? What does this mean for you? This is a personal question for you. How do I be the witness God wants me to be? What can this mean? Well, certainly it means life. It meant new life. It meant eternal life. 3,000 saved, eternal life. It also means power. The unleashing of the power of God still happens today in the church through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, the Spirit is still the source of our power. But also it's another thing. The Holy Spirit is the source of truth. So life, power, and truth come to us through the Holy Spirit, still alive in the church today, which means no fear. What does it mean to be a Spirit-filled Christian? I don't need to fear death. I have Christ. His Spirit is with me. I don't need to fear the virus, or I don't need to fear other people, or I don't need to fear all the precautions that we're taking. I will be sensible, not afraid. I will be confident. The Comforter has come. I'll be safe. I'll wash my hands. I'll stay home if I'm sick, and I'm not going to hug everybody. But I know the life and the power and the truth of God are still real. God is still here. When I think about how little things can make a big difference, I have to tell you about something that happened in our family. Colette woke up, it was Monday morning, about 4 o'clock. And she had not had much sleep at all before then anyway. And she knew that something was very wrong. So she went out and got on the internet and started researching kidney stones. And she's doing some self-analysis, self-diagnosis. and. A little after five, she comes in and she wakes me up. And she says, I think I need to go to the hospital. Now, you understand, I'm not awake yet, okay? And she says, and I, she wants to go to the hospital. The hospital, that's the worst place to go. People are sick at the hospital. You don't want to go to the hospital. That was my first thought. But then I, I finally did wake up and, okay, so we went to the hospital. We went to the emergency room.
evidence. We have evidence right here. So she had the most delightful nurse who started telling her the truth about kidney stones. And they said, we're going to give you this pain medication. And man, she got that pain medication. It was good stuff. Man, five minutes, woohoo! you know? She was feeling great. Well, not great, but way, way better. And then they, they finally they took her in for a CT scan. They did the scan, and all of a sudden they come back a little while, and they say, well, sure enough, you have a kidney stone. And they knew how big the kidney stone. They knew what other stuff was going on all around in there. She got a whole list of things. Kind of scary when you think about it. So this nurse was talking to us and, and telling us truths. And that brought comfort even, even before the pain medication. But it was the pain medication that really brought the comfort. That little teeny calcium deposit in there was causing her great pain because the tube it was going down was not, any, was not big enough. But that somehow that medication made that pain disappear. Well, we're there at the, at the hospital. Most of the staff has masks on. Colette doesn't have a mask on. I, well, I'm taking the picture on this one, so you can't see me, but, but I have a mask on. I have a mask on the whole time I'm there. They're afraid of me, and I'm afraid of you know, other stuff too, but they filled her with fluids, and the painkiller worked, and she gave them the sample that they needed, and we went home. And they said, a day or a week, you could take this photo down now so I won't get in further trouble, but we go home. And uh, we get home, and she's wondering, man, what am I going to do? And the only, really, the, the only treatment was to take ibuprofen, big doses of ibuprofen. And that would kind of relax that little tube and, and give some pain relief, and, and she doesn't even know when, but it's gone. Yay! Uh, we hope we don't see that again. But I want you to know, in times like that, we need comfort. We've been going through tough times, and we need comfort. But guess what? We have a God of comfort, and the truth that we get from Him should drive out all fear. The power that we get from Him should help us overcome anything that comes our way. And, and the life that we get from Him, now this is really kind of gross and everything, but let me just tell you, if you're a Christian and you have eternal life ahead of you, you don't need to fear dying of a virus. I don't want to die today. I don't want any of you to die today. Please don't. But know this, when you do die, you have great hope because there's power and truth in Jesus. Look at this. This is Mark chapter 9. Reflecting back on what Jesus told the disciples, Jesus went on to say, I tell you the truth. Some of you standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God arrive in great power. The disciples there, they thought an earthly kingdom was going to be set up. What was Jesus talking about? He was talking about Pentecost, the birthday of the church, the power of God coming upon them. Great power. And here it is. A little equation for you. Power and truth and life, you put those together, 
And that ought to give you great comfort. Our, we ought to be comfortable in whatever's going on because God is with us. The Comforter has come. This too shall pass. The virus can, will be overcome. Our economy is, is going to get back on track. We will get back to normal, and it might be a new normal. But God is still in control because the Comforter has come. And it was 1,990 years ago, but it's still just as real and true today. Here, here's another passage of Jesus giving comfort to his disciples. This is John 14, 15. If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and it doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later on the day of Pentecost, he will be in you. Notice that this is a permanent situation. It's not a temporary coming of Jesus showing up and seeing the disciples in those 40 days. It's not like the Holy Spirit worked at time here and place there. It's like always available to us right now. This word that our New Living Translation uses the word advocate. Now, we probably don't like the word advocate very well. Mostly we think of lawyers when we think of advocates. And, and sorry, they don't have a very good reputation. But this word advocate, in the, in the Greek, it's parakletos. It, it means, it really literally means comforter. But it means also, it's translated in various versions as, as encourager. D we need a comforter now, but don't we need encouragement too? I hope that you're encouraged just being here together today. We need a counselor. That word can also be translated as a counselor. A counselor guides people. It tells people, tells, a counselor tells people the truth so that they can make adjustments in their life. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It's like a holy conscience for us. This word has also been translated as helper. And isn't it nice when you're going through something to have somebody come alongside you and help you? Isn't it nice when you have to do something, you have a helper alongside you? And one other version translates this word as friend. What we need is a friend. And I want you to know you have a friend in Jesus. And it's through His very Spirit, alive and with you today, the Holy Spirit. So... What does this mean? You have power. The Comforter has come. He is here. Is He in you? Do you know that you have the Spirit of God? Let's pray together. Well, Lord, I just thank You for that wonderful day so many years ago when the church really came alive. Because the church, which is just people who follow you, 
was filled with your spirit. Oh, Lord, do it again. Do it today. Do it right now. May we be filled with your spirit, with your power, with your life, with your truth. And may we receive the comfort that only you can bring through that. Lord, I know there's people who are afraid. Give them truth. Give them comfort. I know there's people that are concerned about death and dying. Lord, let us know that our life is eternal. And Lord, help us to really believe that. And Lord, what we need is your power. We can't go out and handle this stuff on our own power. We need your power. So every time we go, every time we try to do something good for someone, Lord, let us just say that quick little prayer. Lord, help me. Be with me now. Be my friend. I need your power. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for being here, but knowing that it was right for you to go away at just the right time so that you could send your spirit back. And that has made all the difference. Thank you, Lord. In your precious name we pray. Amen. One more verse, and I just want to share this with you. This is a verse we looked at last week, Acts 1.8. This is a great verse to memorize if, if you haven't got it down. It says this, but you will receive power. When? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me. We're only supposed to tell them what we've seen, what we've heard, what we've experienced, what we know to be true because it's happening in us. So pray for that and be that witness that Christ has called you and empowered you to be. Because I tell you, there's a lot of people around right now who need comfort, power, truth. They need that. And we've got that. They need life. Would you be a witness? Would you just look for ways that you can put Acts 1 and Acts 2 into practice in your own life? It's what you were born to do the rebirth, the birthday of the church. God bless you.